life's going to throw you obstacles. And so that's where it's about how do we keep moving forward, focused on our dreams and not be stopped. Because remember, it's not a failure until you quit, until you give up on your dream. And unfortunately, I've noticed way too many people that do that. And, and you go to the book, Three Feet from Gold, and they are literally are. Three feet from their gold is when they end up giving up. And so if anything I could ever say would encourage someone to actually just take one more step and keep going one more time, please do. You will be blown away at how it can really impact your life. Welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I talk with Robert Riopel. Robert is an international best-selling author, app designer, entrepreneur, and fellow podcast host based in Alberta, Canada. Robert has spent the past 18 plus years traveling around the world, sharing his passion for personal development in the hopes that his audience of over 500,000 students over the years will tap into their own inner greatness through Robert's personal experiences and lessons he's learned from his wins and his shortcomings. Our conversation ranges from the inspiration behind his book, Success Left a Clue, to how he went from being $150,000 in debt to financially free by 32, with some other practical life hacks thrown in there. Robert is a very personable and authentic human being who made me reflect on my own journey after our conversation concluded. Before the interview officially started, Robert and I were getting to know each other, and I shared how I want to run a marathon in all 50 states, and that I have a history of interviewing bands through Substream Magazine. So you may notice references to that offline conversation sprinkled in this episode, along with much more in the busy and ambitious life that Robert leads. With all that in mind, just sit back, relax, and get ready for Robert Riopel's journey with personal development. All right, so welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys podcast. And first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with me today. Oh, you know, Eric, we, we've been having a conversation before the recording, and I know we're going to have a lot of fun today. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. I'll try to stay as serial, I mean serious as possible and deliver as much value as we can at the same time. Yes, perfect. I know we had we had a great pre-recorded conversation as well. I think I exhausted myself from all the stories and the laughs and everything. So uh, this is this is definitely gonna be a fun conversation. <laughs> well, and and I'm gonna encourage you that you know maybe start recording and getting because this could be your bloopers reels. This could be the behind the scenes, and some of the gold really comes up in just having that pre-conversation. So just you know, just an idea. Just saying. Hashtag. Just saying. <laughs> It's so true. There's so much gold that comes out in those free conversations. I'm like, dang it, I should have should have been recording that. But uh, it is what it is, you know. Anyway, I feel like it's overall, I feel like it's difficult to try and summarize everything that you do. But I'm going to try. In short, I know you're an international bestselling author, app designer, entrepreneur and podcast host. So let's start with talking about the writing aspect of your life and your book, Success Left a Clue. Can you briefly describe what that book is about and what inspired you to write it? Yeah, well, you know, I'll tell you right off the bat, uh, Eric, it was a procrastination right because I first <laughs> thought of the idea in 2002 when someone on a stage, when I was new to personal development as a student, someone on stage said, hey, you should write a book. And I went, hey, that sounds like a great idea. And <laughs> I made a decision in that moment I was going to write a book and I started coming up with names. No idea what I was going to write in it, but I started coming up with names that I thought sounded cool. Uh, 15 years later, I finally <laughs> released the book. And, it, you know, it was a definite journey because talk about, I believe everything is perfect the way it is. It was meant to come out in 2017 because even when I actually had it written in 2009, 2010, I put the manuscript back on the shelf until 2017. And when I took it off, because I finally said, you know what, it's time to get this book out. I ended up rewriting half the book because in that time that had been sitting on the shelf, I had grown more. I had changed more. I had more experience. I had gone from just doing trainings around North America to now training all over the world, flying on average 200,000 miles a year. And so that kind of took my knowledge base to another level. So, you know, the, my first book, it just, it was meant to be the way it was. And it's a simple, easy steps. I give six steps to teach people how to have, you know, life-changing habits to achieving their dreams while keeping it. And this goes with my initials, Eric, because I'm RRR for Robert Raymond Riopel but I also use it for keeping things real, relevant, and repeatable. Because to me, when I teach, I wanna make sure I'm not just giving people fluff. 
I want them to know the good, the bad, the ugly of what it takes to have the life they really want. I don't think it serves anybody to just say, hey, it's all rainbows and unicorns <laughs> when it's not. So um, I like to keep it real. I love to keep updated with what's working today. You know, in the last two years, look at how much has changed on this planet. And so if I was to just teach only what I taught even three years ago, a lot of it wouldn't be relevant anymore. So that's a big thing for me. And then of course, repeatable. I wanna make sure it's something that people don't go, oh, I was only ever able to do that once, but it's not gonna work again. I wanna make sure they can do it again and again if they truly wanna have that life. And so that's what the book does. It guides people through that. Yeah, no, that's so awesome. So much good content in what you just said. And that's something that I've been thinking a lot about for myself too, because as I mentioned in our pre-recorded conversation, I'm trying to run a marathon in all 50 states. And I've been slowly writing about each state and each experience as they happen. And, yes. you know, obviously this is going to take me years and years to do. And it got me thinking because I would love to t collect it all, turn it into a book afterwards. But I'm like, how much am I going to change once, <laughs> you know, a after the fact, or after I've ran all of them? Because obviously there's going to be a lot of growth. And that, looking back at some of my previous stories, I already want to rewrite some of the some of the narrative in there and what I talk about. So it's it's funny that you uh, that you mentioned that, and I'm I guess I'm glad that you confirmed that a lot can change in those years, and you have oh. to go back and rewrite, and it's an exhausting process. <laughs> well, and one of my mentors said something, and I know because you are a writer in your history of you know writing and interviewing bands and stuff like that and singers, mm -hmm. you'll understand this more than most people. But one of my mentors, who when he wrote his New York Times bestselling book. He basically said, writing is rewriting. And that is so true. But one of the things I'm going to encourage you on, Eric, is because listening to what you're saying about how long it's going to take you to run all the 50 states, I don't know if you realize this, but you actually have a series of books in you. And I would actually, you know, how many states have you run in so far, would you roughly? Yeah. So Mississippi was number 15 for me that I just completed over the weekend. Wow. Yeah. Uh, still got a little ways to go, but I'm, I'm slowly chipping away at them. Yeah. And so <laughs> instead of waiting to get it all done, I would actually say, you know, the first book could be the title and then the first 15. Because as you're growing, if you inspire and think about this as your book, as it inspires people because of your journey, you being real of what you want to do. And it also maybe it inspires someone to do their first half marathon and then maybe their first marathon. So your first 15, that journey of getting to where you are now, that could help people get a long way forward. And then if they have to wait until you do all 50 before they can ever learn your story, you may be missing out on people that have been waiting, people that have this passion and they're going, I, I've always wanted to get started and that book might be the spark they need. So my encouragement is I would, if it was me, cause I'm a marketer as well, <laughs> I would put out that first book and then I would make it a series of books where every race that you do ends up becoming its own little blog. And then every four or five, you turn it into another book. And that way people are able to be on your journey with you instead of having to wait till a bunch of it's done before they hear it. I hope that makes sense, Eric. And that's just a, yeah. a kind of a suggestion recommendation. No, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And that, that might save me a lot of rewriting <laughs> later, too. Well, and that's too, because a lot of the time, the rewriting, what it is, ends up being is us being critical on ourselves. Exactly. And, and I know I'm not talking about you, Eric. I know you're never critical on yourself. It's only everybody <laughs> else on the planet but you. I get that. But, you know, I, I noticed that when I was doing my rewrite is I actually had to define, is this something I truly want to change or is it I'm thinking I have to change it? because I don't think it's good enough or I don't think it's something that was written properly. So it's that fine line between the two. And because again, you have the experience of as being a writer, I, I'm only gonna guess that you probably edit a lot from your past because you put that pressure on yourself that you've gotta be better or this, you've gotta step your game up where you're probably already at a game miles above people that, and again, the, the, what you would write, they would be going, oh my God, I needed this. Yeah, no, honestly, so true. Gosh, there's <laughs> so much good stuff there. But yeah, no, I, I think you're you're speaking a lot of truth there. Definitely, I think there's there's a lot of, of you know power in those moments, kind of in the in between and stuff like that, and along the journey rather than documenting it after the fact. And and to your yeah. point, yeah, I have so many friends who you know release like a poetry book or something along those lines, and they would constantly be writing and rewriting some of their content because they weren't happy with it. And then they would take stuff out, they would add stuff in and it would just be this constant cycle. And then eventually they reach a point where they're just like, I just need to put this thing out there. Yes. <laughs> and that's it. 
that's it. And that's everybody's journey. Each person has their own individual journey that way. And for me, I couldn't even, one of the reasons it was such a procrastination right is because I would sit there and I'd open my computer and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you, you, something comes up and you know what you want to say, but before you can write it down, it's gone. And you're like, yep. how did I want to say that again? And so I'm a very <laughs> in the moment person that way. So I'd open my computer, I'd get excited. I'd go to start writing and then I'd be like, damn it. It's gone again. And I closed the computer. <laughs> and I did this for a couple of years before I had one of those one-handed claps. And because this is audio, your um, audience can't see, but a one-handed clap, picture taking the palm of your hand and smacking it against your forehead. It's an <laughs> aha moment. And I had one of those moments where it was like, Robert, no wonder you're struggling with writing this book. You've never written a book before. So <laughs> what do you know how to do? And because you know, I've been blessed to do trainings all over the world, for over half a million students and I've trained thousands of trainers. One of the things that I'm an expert at is I can develop and design courses very quickly. So I thought, okay, I don't know how to write a book, but I do know how to design a training. And I opened my computer back up and in two hours, Eric, in two hours, I wrote a full one day training based on the concept of my book, not having to do word for word, just here's what I'd like to talk about. I called up one of my students and asked him when his next three day training was live. So, and if I could come down and do one of the, the first day of that training, he's like, are you kidding me? I've been waiting for you to make an offer like that. And I did that twice. I went down. Now I'm in the moment. I'm being me. I'm present on the stage. I'm not thinking. I'm just being there in the moment and saying what I want to say. And we recorded it all. We did that twice. And also we were able to take that, send it to my ghostwriter. And in two weeks, she'd put it into book format. Oh, wow. And now me reading it, I was able to go and say, yeah, like this, keep this, move that here, expand on this. And, and so I made the adjustments. See, it's going with what our strengths are to, instead of fighting what we're not good at, find what you are good at and utilize that in a way, and then let people help you on the things you're not good at. Oh, no, that's that's so good. And yeah, no, to your point, I think when you're running into those roadblocks, I think just almost finding a different avenue or something that you do excel at and that you're really good at and finding somebody else who maybe excels at another area that you struggle in and working with them and collaborating with them. I think there's so much truth in that. And there's, there's so much power in doing that. I, I mean, I know just firsthand from firsthand experience of, of doing that just with all the different endeavors that I do, whether it's podcasting or writing or any other sort of random venture that I'm starting to do. <laughs> right. Right. The other thing too is, is what happens. And I, this is something I learned in my Domino's pizza days when my wife and I are franchisees is when we started managing and then owning the, at the end of the night, you're tired, you're fatigued. Now picture this, this is you at the end of a marathon. If, if you were to sit down and try to write everything down while you're mentally fatigued, chances are you're not going to remember half the stuff you want to get down. And so it was the same thing in our stores. We'd be, you know, closing at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning and trying to get all the paperwork done and balancing the till as an example. And there's those times where all of a sudden it's just like, why is this not matching? And no matter how many times you look at it, you just can't see it. Mm -hmm. And so what our rule was is if you can't figure something out within about 10 minutes, walk away, walk away. So finish the other stuff, close the store, come in even 15 minutes early than for your next shift. And cause all of a sudden when you come out with new eyes, it's like, oh my God, there it is. How the heck did I miss that? Why didn't I see that? It was right in front of me. But because you were looking with the same eyes trying to figure it out, you were seeing past the same information over and over again because it wasn't registering. And so that's what I encourage people to do as well is, is when you're sitting there and you get frustrated by something, don't just keep hammering your head against the wall. Walk away, take a break come back with fresh eyes or ask someone else to say, Hey, I, I'm missing something here. Can you just take a quick look and see if there's something that stands out for you and, and watch how quickly you can solve problems. But we've been conditioned there to try to figure it out on our own. We have to do it. If we ask someone for help, that's weakness. That's not good. We can't do that. And so no wonder so many people struggle moving forward in their life. Yeah. No, it's so true. Gosh, so much, so much truth there. <laughs> so many good knowledge drops there. Yeah. No, I, I agree completely. Would you tell that to my wife? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'll have to spread the word to her then, I guess. <laughs> now, I was just listening to your interview on the Switch Your Sitch podcast earlier today. And in the beginning, it was mentioned that you're working on a second book. Yeah. Do you have any details on that? Or is that kind of on the hush hush for right now? 
No, no, actually, um, in first quarter or second quarter of 2022, um, we're looking at releasing it. It's going to be called The Authority Key, How to Unlock and Open Your Door to Success. And for me, because I love working with entrepreneurs and I love helping people get unstuck and share their brilliance. And, and when it comes to being an entrepreneur, one of the things that people, in the way I ask it, and I'll ask you the question here, Eric, have you ever noticed someone can have the same experience and knowledge or even less than you, but yet they make more money. Have you ever noticed that? Oh yeah, every day. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> the, so the question is why? And it comes up to they're perceived net more of a being an authority than you are. And so why is that? And so in the book, because there's a lot of great books out there that teach you the practical skills, how to be seen as an authority. Like you're a podcast host, that automatically raises your level of authorityship. Writing a book, that raises your level. That's why I want you to get that book out right away because that's a practical thing that becomes your calling card, your business card. Hey, my name is Eric and uh, I'm the author of this book, blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden people go, you're an author? Oh my goodness. <laughs> like I met my new doctor yesterday for the first time and right away, oh, I see you're an author. And, and his whole energy changed like, yeah, I, I could have been writing pornography, but I'm an author. And he, he just saw the word our author and he's like, whoa, you must be special, <laughs> right? And, and so there are the practical skills, but what I'm gonna be working on in the book is I'm really gonna cover more into who are you as the person? Because it's like money. It's one thing to make money, but it's a totally different thing to be able to hang on to money. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to be seen as an authority and be able to, handle that, maintain it. It's another totally different thing to be able to keep it long-term. And so I really do a deep dive in this book on who are you as a person and how do you really learn to really honor who you are, understand and know that if there's things you're not good at, how do you ask for help, stuff like that. So we're going to take that deep dive onto the inside of a person. No, I'm, I'm excited to check that out for sure. I think perception is, is huge. And Actually, what you were talking about just there just reminded me of what you were saying on the Entrepreneurs on Fire podcast I was listening to as well. One of the quotes you said on there was, you teach others how to treat you. And I, I yes. like that quote quite a bit. <laughs> and it is so true. And, and I don't know which EO Fire you had listened to. I was on one of his very first ones early in his days. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, um, he asked me back a few years later when he had exploded. And I'm like, good on you. Like, what a journey he, from <laughs> where he was to where he's been going and how many people he's helped. So I, I love that. Oh, that's he, awesome. I think it guy. was an older episode now that I think about it. That podcast episode I'm referring to was released back in 2015. So if you're curious on hearing that conversation, I provided the link in the show notes. No, that's that's really cool. You got to be a part of his journey in the early days, and then he asked you back, and, you know, riding that wave up, I guess, for, for his success. So that's that's really cool. That's awesome. Well, technically, I begged him to get me back on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's great oh but anyway um going back to success left a clue i see that traveling played a big role in teaching you some of the aspects of that book and i heard you mention on that podcast uh, eo fire about how you've been to almost every country is there a particular country <laughs> or traveling experience that really left an impact on you ah uh, you know it's interesting is people ask me all the time what's my favorite country to go to Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to answer that because um, I, I switched from, it, this was part of my growth, until I became a trainer, I had actually never traveled outside of North America. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, well, sorry, I went on a Caribbean cruise, so I guess I did. But um, <laughs> I don't know if that counts. <laughs> but my, because my wife and I have always loved to travel. And so, but we traveled all over North America and, and, you know, like a Caribbean cruise. Hadn't even gone to even Mexico. So, you know, that part of North America hadn't even gone to it. And then all of a sudden, when I started training, all of a sudden I went to Asia for the first time and we did an event where we had 6,000 students for three very intensive days. And that blew open the world for us. And next thing you know, I'm traveling to all through Asia, all through Europe, all of a sudden, you know, down into Brazil, into India, all these countries. And I, people say, which is your favorite? And I started realizing that there's no favorite for me because I had to change my perspective. And I'll give you an example mm -hmm. of what I'm talking about, if that's okay. Yeah, no, it's totally fine. Okay, first time I'm in India, 2016. I go to India for the first time, and when I get to a country for the first time, I like to just go get on public transport and get lost. Yeah. And just experience the culture. And I noticed I was actually going for a walk, and as I'm walking, it was shortly after 
some major floods that happened in Mumbai and where we're talking six feet of water in the streets, something that would have shut any North American city down for months, for months. And I thought my event was going to get canceled because it was only like weeks after the major flooding. But no, they still went on with it. And so I'm walking along and I noticed myself starting to go, wow, look how dirty it is here. And I noticed I started comparing it to my where I live in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm very, self, one of the things I've done in my life that I've become more and more aware of is my self-awareness, my own thoughts. I, I'm watching them all the times because I've changed so much from, from before personal development to after it and during it because I still learn. I, I will never quit being a learner now. And I, all of a sudden I caught myself having that thought and I went, I just stopped in my tracks. And I'm basically, I said, okay, filter change. Why am I looking for what's dirty or bad around me. Change those filters, start looking for what's beautiful around me. And the moment I did that mental switch in my head, Eric Olson, I noticed something that just blew me away. Here's these people that by my standard of living have nothing compared to most people in North America. But yet I was seeing more happy people than I ever see in North America. (laughs) <laughs> huge smiles on their faces the kids that were playing the just the people greeting each other the people having conversations and i just stood there and marveled at the beauty and reminding myself too that wow yeah it may be dirtier than what i'm used to but they just went through a major flood and they're still happy they're still mm-hmm. thriving they're still moving forward so now every country i go to i just i'm not looking to compare i'm like what's beautiful here and i take memories away from every single country and i get excited when i'm going back to a country that i've been to because it's like oh my goodness i can't wait to see this now or i can't wait to see that and so that's kind of how i look at it now oh yeah no so good oh my gosh i i identified with so much of that honestly i mean just going and traveling to new places and just i i'm guilty of it too just kind of having that filter on like you know being born and raised in Michigan, like, well, you know, this, this place doesn't really have any water. I'm not used to this because I'm living in Michigan. I'm surrounded by water, you know, type thing. <laughs> right. I was constantly comparing it to, to what I knew. And yeah, it's, it's always interesting when you kind of remove that layer from it and just kind of go in, I guess, without that bias and, and expectation in a way. And yeah. And to your point, that's a, it's a very difficult question for me to answer as well, because I love traveling, but it's so hard for me to pick favorites or anything because every place has something special and unique to oh, offer. And I think that's essentially what you were getting at too. <laughs> and, and think of the journey that you're on running a marathon in every state. And, and I, and I'm thinking, cause I, you know, I will tell you, I'm not going to do a marathon. I did enough running as a kid. <laughs> I'm not doing it. But yet I have friends that a really good friend of mine that lives 20 minutes away from me. He actually competes in the Ultramans in Hawaii mm-hmm. and has placed in, in those. And I'm just like, Dude, I just good on you. <laughs> so, but looking at what you're doing, you know, as a runner, how easy is it to all of a sudden you start feeling tired, you start feeling pain, and all of a sudden you start putting your focus on what's not going right with you. Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. I'm not running fast enough my pace. But if all of a sudden you go, hey, filter change, look at the gorgeous, I'm in a new state. Yeah. Look at the gorgeous scenery. Look at the difference of this from the other marathons I've run. Look at the differences in the, the streets, the less water, whatever it is, and start looking for that beauty. And all of a sudden you take your mind off of the pain you may be going through or the tiredness or discomfort, and you start looking at the beauty. And you may just find that your run becomes even more energized. Or you're no. not as tired when you're done, right? <laughs> right. No, exactly. And I, I describe it like that to so many people, honestly, because I've I've ran the Boston Marathon four times. And that in itself is a completely different experience, obviously, than some of these really small races that I've done. But I, I find so much enjoyment out of both experiences, even though they're just very different. Yeah. I mean, Boston runners get treated like celebrities and it's just a big ordeal. I mean, it takes place on Patriots day. So people get the day off and they're all just lining the streets to cheering people on. And that, that energy is infectious. It's great. But then I've also done races like the petrified forest marathon in Arizona to where it was so dead quiet and desolate. I, all I could hear was my own breathing. I could hear my own temples pounding in my head. That's just how wow. alone and desolate it was. But I had a blast at both in just very different ways. And that's why they call it petrified because you're petrified to run through there. Is that what it is? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yep. Yeah. Oh, totally. So, <laughs> anyway, though. Good thing I don't like having fun, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, speaking of journeys, I, I want to back up for a minute and talk about your journey. And, and this one isn't necessarily a physical journey, but I know you went from being $150,000 in debt to financially free by 32. And I know it made me hard to summarize, I realize, but can you talk a little bit how how you were able to make that mental shift, I guess, and turn things around and find success? Yeah, you know, um, here where I was born in, well, born in Canada, but born in one other province. But most of my life, I was raised here in Alberta. And I was taught, here's the box. Don't question the box. There's no box there. Just just stay within the boundaries. And that's kind of how I was raised. And, and when it came to work, as an example, it's if you have a family to take care of, it doesn't matter where you like the job or not. If it's stable and it's paying you money, you do it to support your family. And that's kind of the belief system I was raised with. And so by the age of 21, when I'm being laid off from the third company that I've been working for, I'm like, something's not working. I'm working hard. I'm staying loyal, but something's not working with this formula. And out of necessity, I actually started delivering pizzas for Domino's Pizza because of my work ethic. And at 21, I got to tell you, I was the old guy, Eric. I was the (laughs) old guy for the drivers. All the other drivers were 17, 18. And because they wanted to party, I was working seven days a week because I could always convince one of the young guys to give me their closing shift. And I'd start making more money than I was making my real job. Because of my work ethic, I ended up becoming a manager. My wife became my assistant, and we started working again, seven days a week, open to close. A year and a half in, we found out my franchisee was about to sell his two stores. He was getting out of Domino's Pizza. Now, I was qualified to be a franchisee, but you know we had no money, we couldn't afford it. And so my mind went, uh-oh, if he's selling the store, I know the managers are laid off right away because the new owners want to come in with their own team and do things their way. So my belief system was we've got to phone all the other franchisees in the city, find out who's looking for a manager for, so, cause we're about to both lose our income. And when I'm expressing this fear, my wife's like, well, why are we doing that? I'm like, what do you mean? Why are we doing that? She goes, we're qualified to be franchisees. Let's buy the store. Why won't, why don't we do that? And I look at her and I'm like, cause we don't have any money. That's why we're not buying the store. Cause it's kind of funny how that plays into things. But me being an in the box thinker, my wife who was raised by a single mother, she's the youngest of five children raised by a single mother. Her belief system was what box you figure out a way. And so we started looking at how do you buy a business if you don't have money? And we made a lot of mistakes, Eric, a lot of mistakes, Mm -hmm. but they're not mistakes because every time something didn't work, we learned something and we learned how to actually start having the more intelligent conversations until it took about four months when all of a sudden we were able to talk to our own bank. And because we now knew what to say and what more importantly, what not to say, we ended up getting 100% financing for both the stores my franchisee had for sale. And we became franchisees and it was like, oh, you know, the, the angels are singing, the fireworks are going on because we're now successful. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's one thing to know how to run a Domino's pizza store. And it's a totally different thing to know how to run the business side of it. And we struggled for the first couple of years and it's only sheer tenacity that got us through it until we started figuring out and we started running things properly and we started making pretty good money, but both coming from poor families, Our programming was as we made more money, we started spending more. Mm -hmm. And by the time we were franchisees for eight years, we're now over $150,000 in personal debt going down quickly, stressed out beyond belief. And I didn't believe in personal development. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, we are given as gifts tickets to a a three-hour evening that blew my wife and I totally, it just blew our minds. We ended up paying $600 that we couldn't afford to go to a three-day training That was three months later in 2001. And we only showed up at that training to get our money back because we'd gone through buyer's remorse. And it's like, what the heck are we doing? This isn't right. We shouldn't have done that. And thank goodness they knew what was going on in our minds and they didn't give us a refund because that three-day training changed our life because we learned why we were in debt. More importantly, we took ownership. And this is one of the things I want your audience to really get. Mm -hmm. See, I was really good at playing the victim and blaming, you know, like it was them that lost my investment. It's because of them I made a bad decision and lost money. I was blaming everybody. And the moment I learned to take responsibility that I'm the one that made the decision to give the money or do the investment, I took ownership of it. And then my wife and I learned some specific skills that we actually put into action. 
And I'm going to say this, my book, Success Left a Clue, step number three, the biggest difference between success and non-success that I've noticed from traveling all over the world, I don't care what your upbringing, your beliefs, how you're raised, the one thing that I've seen as the biggest difference between successful people around the world and non is successful people take action. And I'm going to be fully honest. My wife and I, we left that training and we put things into action. And probably the only reason we did, because here's the statistic. In North America, on average, only 3% of people will actually use the knowledge that they've been given or learned. <laughs> 3%. And that would have been us to not do it, but we were so desperate and we knew we needed change that we had no choice but to take action. And because we did, nine months later, we went from the $150,000 in debt to being retired completely financially free at the age of 32. And our minds went, that worked. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so awesome. And yeah, I can definitely confirm. I, I ask that similar question to pretty much everyone I bring on the show, you know, for anyone who wants to get started in this venture or what have you, it doesn't really matter what they're doing. Their answer is pretty much always the same. It's like, just do it, get started, you yep. know? And so yep. I, I agree completely with what you're saying. I mean, that's, that is the big difference. I mean, just rolling up your sleeve is actually giving it a try and doing it and putting yourself kind of in that vulnerable state and saying, you know, it's going to be, it's not going to be perfect. You know, there's going to be bumps along the way. I'm going to have to just roll with the punches and learn along the way. And that's, that's really the only way to do it. And you never really know until you try, until you stumble and fail and you just have to, you know, take action and keep doing it. And then, you know, you'll find success that way if you're just, you know, adamant with it and everything too. Exactly. That's exactly it. The only time it's a failure is when you decide to quit. And guess whose decision that is? Yours. No, exactly. So good. And and yeah, speaking of inspirational things and life hacks and whatnot, um, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was also just listening to your interview on the Bro Nouveau podcast earlier today as well. And in there you mentioned how, and I'm rephrasing this a little bit, but how you'll, you'll book the earliest time slots available for interviews because when you commit time to someone else, it gets you up and out of bed first thing in the morning to kickstart your day. And subconsciously, I've realized I do that too, and it really works. It does. And I think that's a great life hack. So do you have any other trade secrets in addition to that in order to try and get the most out of your day? Well, you know, that's a big one. And the reason I do that is because I am a world-class procrastinator. <laughs> you and I both. World-class. Like, the, <laughs> you know, yeah. Think about if it was an Olympic sport, I would be a gold medalist for procrastination. And in the beginning, I used to beat myself up relentlessly about that. So here's another life hack. Start being more gentle with yourself. Mm -hmm. Quit being so tough on yourself. And so when I realized that, you know what, instead of trying to deny that I'm a procrastinator, instead of beating myself up because I'm a procrastinator, own it and work with it. And so that's when I came up with my quote that says, design your day in such a way that procrastination cannot play. Mm -hmm. And because I use that little mindset, that's why I will book. Because for me, making a commitment to myself, it's easier to go away from it if my mood changes. Mm -hmm. But because I am, I have what's called a warrior attitude, the moment I make a commitment to someone else, I'm going to do everything to keep that commitment. So the moment I'm committed to someone else, I know I'm going to get up. That's why I'll sit there and I'll go, yep, I've got students in countries all over the world, all different time zones. So someone says, oh, well, Robert, that's like four o'clock in the morning your time. Is that okay if we meet then? Done. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because now look, and I've got it to a point now, Eric, where I, if it's a really early morning, I, I'll go back to bed for an hour, hour and a half. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm not going to wear myself out completely. I've done that. Been there, got 25 t-shirts. Don't want to do it again. Right. But, and, <laughs> and that's me. You and I were talking at the beginning before the recording, mm -hmm. we don't sleep much, but I've learned that, especially at my age, I believe I'm probably a little bit older than you. I've learned that <laughs> if I'm not getting the proper rest, it's not doing anybody any good. So this morning, I had a training at 6.30. So I'm up at 5.30 to get ready, do the training from 6.30. We finished about 8 o'clock. I didn't have anything else scheduled until 2. So I went back to bed for an hour. Mm -hmm. And then I got up and I'm like, well, there's the honeydew list to do. So I started working on that. And my day's going because I've scheduled it that way. So those are the two life hacks. A, be more gentle on yourself. B, yeah, if you're a procrastinator, don't fight against it, but utilize it and Make your commitment so that you do get up earlier. And if it takes making a commitment with someone else, so you hold to it, then utilize that. Use it as a tool. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Oh, so much good stuff there. And I remember you you mentioning that one on one of the podcasts as well about just being more gentle yourself. And that's that's something I need to learn more myself as well. And ultimately just having, the, you know, looking at the big picture sometimes with things and saying, mm-hmm. am I really benefiting anybody by staying up till <laughs> four in the morning to get this done? Or should I just get a little bit of sleep and then finish it in the morning or finish it at this time and designate a time and reschedule and figure things out? Sometimes, yeah, like taking a look at a at things in that kind of approach I've realized is, is definitely beneficial too. And taking a, a good look at things and yeah, she's yeah. So much, so much good stuff there. So many good life hacks. <laughs> Excellent. Speaking of uh, words of wisdom and inspiration and whatnot, I'd say clearly you inspire a lot of people with your journey and with your story. Are there any people or books in particular that you find inspirational? Yeah. You know, one that I'm actually re going through again right now, is by Don Miguel Ruiz, The Four Agreements. And I've actually, you know, I'm holding it in my hand right now as we speak because this book (laughs) here is one that's had some of the biggest impact on my life. Um, One of the agreements that he writes about, one of the four agreements is don't take things personally. Because when you understand that what anything that anybody says about you actually has nothing to do with you at all, even if it sounds and feels personal, it's only a reflection of what's going on in them. Mm-hmm. This book has allowed me to have compassion, especially as I've learned new cultures and, and met people from different upbringings. I used to get so frustrated when you know someone from another country would act a certain way and I'd be like, because it was going against my way of thinking, my beliefs. Mm-hmm. But then when I started realizing that they were brought up in a totally different way, why am I taking it personally that it's not the way I think it should be? And then I, you know, I, I go on one of those journeys of, realizing and and because i i like to think about things eric i don't know why but i do also i start (laughs) thinking about how many wars have been fought over a difference in beliefs Mm -hmm. and which one's really right and which one's wrong how many countries and and it just it's mind-blowing when you think about if a person just had more compassion and understanding for other people there'd be a lot more peace around us so this book is is a absolutely one of the ones I absolutely love to read. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah, to your point, I mean, culture is, is huge. And I could go on a whole massive tangent about this. But I, <laughs> so I, uh, Anthony Bourdain was a huge influence of mine. And I know he was big on obviously food and, and culture, but it was all centered around culture. He would travel and, and talk with all these different individuals from all these different walks of life. And yeah, I, I don't know. And that ultimately got me on this podcast venture and stuff, too, because I love having those conversations and I love doing that. And I, I've been teaching myself French the past two years because I find the the construction of language really interesting, too, because that says mm-hmm. a lot about, you know, uh, that ties in perfectly with culture and everything, too. And no, I, I love that point you were making about, you know, not taking it personally, you know, based on backgrounds and everything, too, because I think to your point, I think reaching those understandings with one another and everything is is more crucial than anything. It, it absolutely is. And and that's why one of the things I love to read is I love reading biographies mm-hmm. uh, or watching biographies. You know, I used to be a big watcher of A&E channel and biographies to show because I don't want to just know a person's result. I want to know their story. I want to know their background. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at one right now on my desk that my wife just picked up for me, the life of John F. Kennedy Jr. Hmm. And so, you know, America's reluctant prince. And one of the things I do, because it's easy when people dive into personal development, it's really easy. And this is going to be another life hack for your audience if they <laughs> find it valuable. Is It's easy when you start learning to get into all the nonfiction books, all the personal development, and just start devouring books. And a lot of people, they, they, you know, proud about how many they read. And if you ask them how many they actually put into practice, a lot of them don't. <laughs> but on the other side, also, people quit reading after a while because they get overwhelmed. And I found the same thing was happening for me. So what I do, because I do love to read, is I alternate my books. I'll read a nonfiction book, like some kind of self-help, personal development, whatever it is. And then my next book, I'll dive into a fiction shoot them up, bang, whatever kind of book that just lets me escape into another world. And, you know, so right now I'm going through The Street Lawyer and reading that book. And then I'll go back to a nonfiction. Then I'll put in a fiction. And I alternate my reading just to give my brain that break and allow it to go in a different direction instead of always thinking I have to just learn one way, one thing, Mm -hmm. one direction. 
Yeah. Honestly, I'm wired the exact same way. I I read strictly nonfiction for the longest time, and I just wanted to know more about about people and everything. I would read memoirs and whatnot, and I just wanted to know more about, I guess, factual people, events, you know, things that could that could benefit me in some way. But then I yeah. eventually realized too, I was like, I need to break that up a little bit and throw some th- some fiction in there. And I started gravitating towards the more controversial banned books. You know, um, I don't know why. I just I I love anything that's controversial like that and things. Nice. So then I would pick up those and then uh, start reading those and kind of get more well versed into the classics. And it's been a really nice balance because yeah, to your point, you're learning different things just in different ways and different avenues to make you a little bit more well rounded. So yeah, so much good stuff there. And I, I guess speaking of taking action, uh, <laughs> as I mentioned previously at the beginning of the episode, you are also an app designer and you have an app and interactive web platform called Mentora. Can you briefly describe this app and what people can generally use it for? Yeah, and I'll give a disclaimer at the beginning. Um, we've taken version one down okay. because we're currently coding version two right now, which is going to be a much more dynamic and the easiest way to explain it is the app is my book. Okay. Uh, because <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, and we designed the yeah, we designed the app first <laughs> as a way of launching my book. And so on the app you can you'll be able to design and create vision boards. I'm a huge believer in vision boards. Okay. It then helps bring it down into action steps. It's called Amentora because it's like having a mentor in your pocket. On upcoming versions, you'll be able to just like Airbnb allows you to find accommodations and where to stay hmm. through Aventura, you're going to be able to find great mentors. You're going to be able to know, you know, what are they willing to do to work with people? What are their costs? All that. Uh, there's major journaling you get to do on it. The first version we had just a success journal. I'm a big believer in, in really writing down your successes and at, you know, five a day and version two is six major journals where it's all designed like you're writing on paper because the written word activates different parts of your body, including your heart, whereas typing activates something else. So we've designed them and we've made the, um, we're doing the coding so tight that even as the developers, we will not ever be able to read anything someone writes in their own personal journal because hmm. we want that security so that the person feels safe that if they're writing in their journal about their dreams, they can just let all their dreams go out on the page. If they're you know, writing in one of the journals where it's talking about you know, what's held them back in life and their pains, they feel safe enough to be able to write you know, the, what's going on because we want people to be able to get it out and release it because that's one of the greatest ways to take an energy that's been holding you back is by, you know, let's go to one of my favorite animated movies, Frozen. The only part of it I know, <laughs> let it go, let it go. That's the only part of the song that I know. But it's words I live by because I became so good at holding on to things. And the moment I realized to let him, the, whatever emotion come in and go out and have that flow, then it becomes okay. Emotion is okay as long as it's flowing. It only becomes an issue when we hold it in and we compress it and try to suppress and not let it come out. So the second version, I wish I knew when it's going to be released, but it is going to just blow people's socks off how dynamic and interactive we use artificial intelligence in it. And when you design your dream boards, as an example, it'll then help you break it down into action steps so you can attain it, not just dream it, but attain it. Oh, that's so good. I love the name, by the way, Amentora. I, and I, I'm a big believer in the power of energy and writing down your goals and working towards them. I have a physical goal board right, right in my hallway that has, you know, daily tasks, yearly goals, things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll stare at them every day and slowly say, OK, what can I do to work towards one of these goals or one of these tasks today? And, you know, I'm very task and goal oriented. So, no, I think this is a great platform to get people used to that whole mentality of just writing things down and actually working towards things. So especially if you have big long term goals, that way they don't, I guess, sneak up on you. So you can slowly chip away at them each day. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's it. It's going to include, you know, push notifications because when you look at something, a vision is usually something three to five years down the road. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as you put it in, then it, the, the actual app will walk you through saying, okay, what does that look like a year from now? What does that look like? And what actions do you need to do in the next 30 days? Okay, now what actions do you need, um, would you need to do in the next seven days? Okay, what action could you do tomorrow to move towards it? And so it actually allows you to break it down into those bite-sized pieces so you don't get overwhelmed with it. And so that's going to be a very big practical step of the app as well. 
Oh, yeah, so good. So I guess in addition to the new version of Ementora and your new book, The Authority Key, is there anything else in the works for you, any upcoming events or exciting things on the horizon that you're really excited about? Oh, <laughs> I got to tell you, because I'm no different than anybody else, Eric, you know, March 11th is a day of 2020 that changed my life again. Mm -hmm. You know, March 10th, I was flying back home, I landed in Canada from doing a three-day event in India because I was, you know, BC before COVID. On average, I was flying 200,000 <laughs> miles a year around the world. Oh, good. I'm glad you got that joke. Yeah, I, I like that joke. I don't know why I haven't heard that one, <laughs> but that's so good. <laughs> on March 11th, because I'd been in another country, I got put into isolation and lockdown for two weeks. All of a sudden, all my live events around the world are being canceled, and I had a choice. I could have gone into victim role, or I could use two very powerful words that have served me and my wife in our life. And those words are what's next. Mm -hmm. And when the moment we ask that, I'm very blessed in a lot of ways. But one of the ways I'm blessed is just over three years ago, my wife and I bought a beautiful executive acreage in central Alberta, back in the area where we both grew up and met. And we bought it with the intent that eventually somewhere down the road, we would build our own training center on it so that I would fly even less. And so also when we ask that question, what's next? Because this was in the works for maybe five, six, seven years down the road. We said, well, you know, we want to build the training center where I'm home now. I'm not traveling. <laughs> Why don't we do it now? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting how fear comes in because all of a sudden, where did my mind go next? It was, well, A, hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue are gone. And we don't know how long this is going to be. And it's going to cost us a few hundred thousand to build. What if it doesn't work? Mm -hmm. And then two other powerful words came in, which we use a lot. All in. When we made the decision, it was like, we're doing it. And it took just over a year, but I'm now sitting in my office. Beside my office, I have a 1,500 square foot training center now that we just got completed with a 900 square foot prepping area, aka my wife's she shack. It's her big garage. And <laughs> so we built a, a 2,400 square foot addition onto our home that's now allowing me to do my trainings virtually even though I haven't been able to do live trainings where I'm in front of an audience. And, you know, think this is how life goes because here in Alberta, we're still in a medical state of emergency in our fourth lockdown. And so I can't have live people come to my training center. Mm -hmm. So again, I could either go victim role or I can say those two powerful words. Do you remember what they are, Eric? Uh, what's next? That's it. So I have actually, in the next two weeks, I'm going to be building out a super Zoom room in my studio where I will be able to see four or 500 students on the screens. So I'll have four or five cameras. I'll be able to stand on a stage and do my training instead of having to stand in front of a, one camera. So, you know, we are making the adjustments. I'm excited about it because I'm doing online trainings and having a blast. Oh, that's so cool. And, and yeah, no, I'm, I'm so glad you were able to, to get all that to work and actually you know, build this training center and, and make use of your time during the pandemic, because obviously everyone processed it in a different way. But no, it, I'm glad to hear that you were able to, I guess, turn that into some positive momentum and thinking and of what can I do, you know, during this downtime and during these uncertain times. So that's, no, that's extremely admirable. That's great. Uh, and I'll tell you, it didn't always go smooth. We were supposed to be done by April, the building. But <laughs> if I hear those words, COVID delay again, <laughs> but that's life. And, and that's the thing is, is life's going to throw you obstacles. And so that's where it's about how do we keep moving forward focused on our dreams and there's and not be stopped. Because remember, it's not a failure until you quit, until you give up on your dream. And unfortunately, I've noticed way too many people that do that. Mm -hmm. and, and you go to the book, Three Feet from Gold, and they are literally are. Three feet from their gold is when they end up giving up. And so if anything I could ever say would encourage someone to actually just take one more step and keep going one more time, please do. You will be blown away at how it can really impact your life. Oh, yeah. No, so good. I, I love that so much. Now, is there anything I forgot to ask about that you wanted to touch on before we get into plugins? No, you know what? My biggest belief is the greatest gift anybody can give this world is to be yourself, be authentic. Mm -hmm. Because that, to me, is how we really keep the world moving forward. So, And always live with passion. Yes. No, so good. I love that so much. Awesome. Now, where can people find more information about your book, yourself, and anything else you want to plug? Well, you know, Eric, because you were so generous to have me on as a guest on your podcast, what I would love to do, because I believe that our time is one of our most precious commodities that we have. Mm -hmm. And because you took your valuable time to have me on as a guest, 
And more importantly, your audience has taken their valuable time to listen to us rant and rave and have some fun. <laughs> As a gift from us to them, I would love if they just go to robertriopel.com, just my name, R-O-B-E-R-T-R-I-O-P-E-L.com. They're actually going to be able to download the entire digital copy of success left a clue as our gift to them for taking their time awesome and i will say though it comes with a caveat though and the caveat is this i did not write the book for you to read put on the shelf and make it shelf help that's not why i wrote the book oh good you got that joke too oh yeah that's a great one <laughs> remember step number three is taking action so i actually wrote the book as a workbook and there's action steps all the way through and i actually say in the book did you do the last action? If not, stop reading right now. Go back, do the action before you continue reading. Because I know people are creatures of habit. Mm -hmm. And in all seriousness, I'm going to make this promise. If your audience members download the book and they actually read it and do the action steps, they will see that they take their life to another level. And by doing that as well, it keeps them connected with me so they can find out about the trainings I do uh, and stuff like that and how I'm helping people. Yeah, no, that's so awesome. I'll definitely have to... Um link everything in the show notes and send people their way for that uh, so they can start taking action on, you know, the things that they want to accomplish in life. So yeah, that's, that's super exciting. And no, once again, thank you so much for taking the time for this. I, to your point, I do think time is our most precious commodity. So yeah, taking time out of your day for this means the world to me. And I think your journey is inspiring and I'm looking forward to the release of your second book, The Authority Key. And I wish you nothing but the best in all of your future endeavors. Ah, thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me on the call. <laughs> of course. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. A link to Robert's website, along with other resources, can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, Please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for Juxtaposed Journeys wherever you stream your podcasts. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated, and it helps the show reach more listeners. It also keeps new episodes coming out. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. Or you can find Juxtaposed Journeys on Podmatch and request an interview that way. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner, and music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Final mixing and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.